Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It is the Unfiltered Band. That means, yes, another episode of Unfiltered coming your way. This one officially go down as episode number 184. You could jump on board the Unfiltered Revolution anytime at Casey Stern on Twitter. Jump on, on YouTube or, of course, Equal Opportunists are we everywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, etc. And thank you, Unfiltered Band. Uh, speaking of bands, uh, the old song goes reunited and it feels so good. Uh, reunited with uh, my longtime broadcast partner, much uh, even better uh, friend. You can find him on uh, Loud Outs on MLB Network Radio, as well as the podcast over on Apple TV. I mean, geez, Emmy uh, Emmy nominations as an analyst. And no, I don't. Have, as... I don't have. I don't have any Emmy. On... I mean, I'm, I'm giving like, you I'm... some. Well, I usually get uh, Emmys. I have two Emmys, but it's because I was part of a show where the people that did the real work, and I was like. That's all right. I was like, hi. Hey, uh, no, hey, I, I love hey. it. I love it. Were you on the roster? It's like baseball, right? I mean, that's I, it. I got, yeah, I have a, I have a, I have a ring back there that I was on a roster for. So it was cool. I appreciate you, man. I, it's, uh, it's good to see you as, uh, as usual. As, uh, by the way, I got to start here. Speaking of seeing you, I was looking at your Twitter. Was it 90s night? This picture of you, what is that? Parachute pants you're rocking? Yeah, I got some, uh, yeah, so it was 90s night, and it was, it was, I was saying this to, to Jenny the other day, Jenny Kavnar. There were six people in the entire stadium at Coors Field of 35,000 because the Mets were in town that were participating in 90s night, and it was our AT&T crew. So I'm walking around the stadium, and people are like, what the hell is this guy wearing? Why is he dressed like an idiot? I was like, 90s, man, I'm in 90s gear. Uh, and they're like, well, you're the only one that knows that it's 90s night. And so were you a hammer kind of guy. Were you an MC Hammer uh, guy? Yeah, I loved MC Hammer. I bought Me those. Too. Me too. The, the green pants. Are they called Zumba, Zumba pants? What were the name of those um, pants? I, I don't know, because Zumba, isn't that like an exercise class <laughs> yeah. of some sort? They're, I don't know what they're, they're like parachute pants, like those green, those fluorescent pants. green, right? Those fluorescent green pants. Yeah. Mine were mine were sunburst uh, parachute pants that I found. And I rocked them. And then I had uh, the Rockies archive open up for me because I really wanted to catch the fever. Uh, Tupac, you remember Tupac was, yeah, was of course. you know, holding the Pizza Hut box. Yes. It's like, it's such a pop, pop culture, pop icon uh, photo of that time. And so I wanted to catch the fever, the white one. And I got the black long sleeve catch the fever purple. Um, so it's all right. Uh, I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't the way I wanted my full outfit to be, but for uh, you know asking other people to grab me stuff, that works really well. I I I hate to admit this, I could probably do the Running Man like now, like still. I feel like I haven't done it in like twenty years. I can't remember the last. I don't think time. anybody's done it in what twenty the, years. What was the other one? Like the Bunny Rabbit, the one that's like backwards. Oh, the Roger Rabbit. The Roger Rabbit, right? The Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Wow. This is, by the way, speaking of Emmys, this is how you get them. Uh, ben Online is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, latest matchup reports. 
year's NBA playoffs, bet line your sports Intel headquarters this season. They got you covered for all your insider sports wagering records and needs. Basketball, MLB, hockey, golf, UFC, and boxing. Easiest way to get your betting info, including all the live betting options and favorite casino and card games available to play now from your home. So get into the action today. Head over to the website, use your mobile device, and join. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE. That's B-L-E-A-V. Get your 50% bonus on your first deposit. It's Bet Online where the game starts. And here's where I want to get started. And it's recent and it's feel good. And you and I love stories like this. I'm watching Liam, Hem- Liam Hendricks. Oh. And you know, in a different situation entirely, not trying to compare the two, and watching Soroka get back on the mound. And we talked about this for years, you and I knowing each other, and I know we're both bigger believers in this. One of the great things about this sport is, is the stories that it tells about people and the perseverance of individuals beyond what they do in a uniform. How about the two stories in their own right here in the last couple of days of Hendricks getting back on the mound, just being healthy first and foremost, and Soroka after all of that road getting back on the hill? Uh, I'll start with Soroka. I mean, both of them, they give you goosebumps. And, like, I've seen players make their comeback stories. I saw with Chad Bettis. Uh, Bettis had testicular cancer, came back. Uh, We were broadcasting the game. You know, he had no idea what he was going to do. And, and then he goes out and pitches a gem. And I, and I usually point that that game out because I don't think many of the fans that were going to that baseball game knew what the journey was for this individual player. Right. You didn't know that this guy had unless you knew, unless you were totally locked into the team. You go to a baseball game, you're like, OK, this guy's, you know, pitching for the Rockies or this guy's you know, starting in left field for, you know, but you don't know the journey. You don't know what they've done. Like a random Tuesday night, you have no idea that this is a seminal moment in this guy's life. You know, that there are doctors and nurses and, you know, parents and siblings that are like in tears, right? Because uh, teammates on a Tuesday night. And so watching Soroka and knowing that he, you know, how he first off, he was a runner up rookie of the year. This guy was a runner up rookie of the year, uh, tore his Achilles and then tore it again because the surgery apparently wasn't done really well um and so that kind of stinks obviously and on so opening you- day spilly the the first time out against Degrom in like the i don't know it was the first couple of innings of the season yeah it was like right six in innings base. into it <laughs> like they're going toe to toe toe to toe against jacob Degrom, and he's not even blinking he's not even flinching and then he blows out and then he blows out again and so for him to go and, and pitch pitch against oakland it didn't really matter the results Right. We don't care about the results. It was good to see Soroka. I mean, this was the guy that was Casey. You can, you can imagine this. Atlanta, you win the world series in 2021. Here's a runner up rookie of the year that should be a part of the rotation is not. Uh, he's watching guys like Ian Anderson, Max Freed, Kyle Wright, uh, guys from, from the minor leagues doing things. And they win a world series without him. He had no part of it. Zero. Like, I'm sure he celebrates because he celebrates for his teammates, but that's as a competitor, as an Uber competitor, you watch your team win a world series and you had nothing to do with it. You've been holed up in a, in a, in a therapist office working on your Achilles. That would be hard. That would be hard. I wouldn't be able to stomach that. 
Yeah, more more mentally, feel like. right, Spilly? I mean, you've been through injuries. All that's more mental than it is physical. All the rehab, it's the it's it's hanging in there. The patience of it, the amount of times that doctors are telling you, "Well, you're doing the right things, but you're not seeing progress," and how difficult that's got to be. The mental fortitude of a dude to go through that beyond the physical rehab is it's it is inspiring, for sure. No question. Inspiring. No question, especially for uh, for athletes that, you know, when things get hard, they they quit. You know, there's a lot of yeah. athletes. That's why there's, you know, so many you hear of so many you know guys that go into the minor leagues and they quit because it just it, it becomes exhausting. It's a mental it's a mental grind. Um, I think parts of that, too, you know, from the mental health standpoint is having a support system. You know, we've we've spoken to guys like Trevor May sometimes taking a breather getting outside of it, just, just having a chance to not be in the monotony of, of, of something that is, you know, wearing you out just to take a step back is important. We're seeing a lot more guys. Uh, Austin Meadows has gone on the IL for, um, for some mental health and dealing with anxiety. We saw with Daniel Bart, I saw it up close and personal in Colorado. Um, I think the fact that that stigma is going away is really, really important, especially in sports. Uh, I think so many kids get burnt out, right? That, like they, they play a sport and then they get burnt out. Well, why do they get burnt out? Because it's it's hard to go through failure. It's hard when you're not succeeding. It's it's not fun when you're the worst player on the team. And so figuring out from the youth standpoint, how do you give a kid a, a breather and then bring him back in without, you know, missing an opportunity to continue to play a, a sport that they love? So that like that's there's so much in there. And then the Liam Hendricks one, Casey, I was in Detroit last week and i saw liam uh he was they were they were playing uh they were playing the tigers and, and liam was was just through uh a live bp and his personality like you know him he fills up a room oh, like, yeah. you just know he's there he's got yes. this funky haircut he's he's All like cats named after wonder years characters <laughs> and yeah. walks them on leashes i mean he sees all that yes he is uh and you know he's got crazy hairdo he's always drinking a coffee you know he's from down under so he's got this great you know accent and he's engaging and energy. Energy. there's energy there it's just like yes. soaks out of him and pedro yes. Garfall was talking about you know spring training this guy was was going through his his non-hodgkin's lymphoma treatment um and then still coming in and and maybe playing catch or trying to throw a side session and just trying to go like I'm going to make it through this. And he was wearing, he was wearing a shirt in the clubhouse in Detroit. And it said kicked cancer's ass. That was the shirt he was wearing. And like that stuff gives you goosebumps when you consider it. And so, you know, for him Monday, he gave a check. Um, he raised money for, for cancer research. So before the game, you know, he's added to the roster him and his wife, Christy, they presented a check for over $100,000. Um, you see the reaction from both teams when he came out. It wasn't just like one. <laughs> it wasn't just like White Sox fans. It was both teams standing, clapping. And I asked Liam, I said, how are you feeling? He was like, I feel great. I was like, how's your wife doing? And she goes, man, that's the question. You know, like I would not have been able to go through all this as much as we give Liam it's the, the credit. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. As absolutely. much as we give Liam the credit and we're like, man, yes. this guy, like he fought and he did, he did, but he fought because 
he had somebody holding his hand at yes. times, pushing yes. him, inspiring <laughs> him. Yes, him. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. It, it's it um it transcends everything. We we get into the minutia of you know pitch clocks and rules and stolen bases and you know arguments and sticky stuff and all this kind of garbage and it really shows you that the best part of sport. I mean, it was, it was amazing. Who cares how he pitches clearly, but the fact that he's on the mound getting, I don't even know what he did. Good, I don't even I, know what he did. I knew he threw a strike. Cause I watched it like a million times on social media. Just the, the step out with great job, by the way, as well. I can't remember who it was, but that whole thing was amazing to watch. The antithesis of amazing so far this season is, is watching what's happened in Oakland. And you mentioned Oakland, the other side of, of all of that, as you know, I root, I've, I've rooted in my life for bad teams. I've rooted in my life for teams that haven't spent money, teams that don't show up teams that when I say the team doesn't care, I don't mean the players, but you would know that the ownership was not putting in what they were supposed to their best foot forward. And when you're in a bad stadium, like I've been in and paying, I remember, you know, sitting there with my feet sticking to the bottom of the floor at Nassau Coliseum because of all the, I mean, the lack of cleanup even on who knows if it was piss drinks, what, but it's my oh. crap hole, right? It's it, this, it's like people watching, you know, Philly games in the old days of the vet, right? This is, this is my crap hole, right? This is, this is my place. The A's fans to me, 10 of them could be louder than a hundred people anywhere else. And we've seen that for so long. I feel so bad for the people who are the diehards, the bleacher Daves of the world who called us for years. What is it like watching this situation? And how much have you empathized with the players, Spilly, who I know are getting opportunities maybe they don't get elsewhere, but are having to now live and breathe this entire thing day to day? Uh, this one is this one's tough for me, Casey, because I don't like it at all. Uh, I think there's competitive integrity at stake here uh, when you have a team that's won 12 games and, and they just they just took a series from the Atlanta Braves. So I mean, it's so I mean, in a sense where I'm complaining about competitive integrity, they just beat the best team in the National League twice in two series. So I don't know if that is a reflection on how poor the Atlanta Braves compete in certain games against lesser competition because clearly they're lesser competition the Oakland A's are. Um, but for a team that's won 12 games and we're 50, what, five, 56 games, 57 games into the season, we're getting to that um, third third of the way through. I don't like it. I, I think it, it, it could impact uh, divisions. It can impact races. It's it's embarrassing from like I could not I I know there's teams that have gone through these rebuilds. I've had teammates that have gone uh, through rebuilds. I've never been on a hundred loss team. Uh, I was on the worst team in the California league. And, and that's, that's a fact second half uh, 19, 2004, the second half California league, Visalia Oaks. I was on it. That is the worst second half team of all time in the California. League. Like the, the worst second half record. We won like eight. How games. many wins? Eight. It was terrible. And I hit third and I would every day, like I knew this team sucked, like they were not good. And like the players knew they yeah. weren't good. Like you we know, knew yeah. it. We yes. knew it. It was embarrassing. You're like, God, we suck. And like, it doesn't feel good to be on a team where you just, you're a doormat. 
And like, I can't, I, I can, I can empathize with the players that are in that clubhouse, especially if you, if you know, you're a big leaguer, there's some guys that are having really good seasons for Oakland that are big leaguers. There are some other guys that know that they're getting service time. And you know, when you're not a big leaguer, you know, when you don't belong, you know, when you've been allowed into the area and you shouldn't be there. And that's, that's hard for me to say that about certain players because it's not fair. I think the other part too is if you're like, there's so many things to criticize. I, I I'll take it from one stance. Cause we talked with the David Caval, who is the president of the Oakland A's. Uh, and he was, he was talking about the situation because he was part of the, uh, the Howard terminal project. And so the Howard terminal project is, you know, they're trying to rebuild this entire area and it's like billions of dollars. It's not like, it's not like it's just the Oakland A's stadium. It's billions of dollars of, of multifamily housing, retail. Um, there's so many different dynamics of demographics of making sure there's affordable housing that goes in there. Uh, you don't want it to, to, you know, get washed out, you know, the type of demographics that are in Oakland and not being able to afford, you know, push out small business. So there's a lot at stake. It's very political. Uh, you're also dealing with the Port Authority, which is, you know, that's another billion dollar industry. And they're probably not going to be huge fans of Howard Terminal becoming a residential area. They much rather keep it as as a port authority where they can, you know, bring in <laughs> exports and imports for Vandalay. So they they have there's just the, the, Se- about- the Seinfeld reference, by the way. Just I mean, go ahead. I, so, I just say so like smoothly done. <laughs> Way to know just, your audience, by the way. Recognize I, your audience. Go ahead. I know it. I, I'm just saying that the Oakland A's situation is far more complicated than than an ownership group that's just trying to destroy its fan base. And when Caval told us that they spent over a hundred million dollars in pre-development um, over the last couple of years, and the the Oakland A's uh, Coliseum lease expired 10 years ago. They went past the, the expiration date to try to get something figured out. They've spent almost 20 years on this thing. And so when you consider $100 million, now, is that money lost and money wasted? Probably. Um, do I think part of it is eyewash? 100%. You know, I've gone through development. I know what eyewash is. Do they probably want to go to Las Vegas and be in that market? Maybe. It's probably a better stadium deal for Oakland there. You don't have to deal with all the headaches and all the politics and all the people. So I think, I think they like the, like the movie major league, you know, the, the owner wanted to move to Miami. That's right. You need a mannequin. I think Vegas, Vegas was calling to Oakland. They already had the aviators. The Oakland A's already have a triple A affiliate and a really nice stadium in Las Vegas, called Las Vegas Ballpark. Uh, and the Raiders, uh, right? I mean, already making the Oakland to Vegas. So everything is already set up for them. And Everything's it's set blood. up. It's new money, right? So- yeah, and, but it, it's just, Casey, there, I mean, like, I'll give you another example of why I don't like this. The signings of Trevor May, uh, Aledmus Diaz, and Jace Peterson, and if you, I mean, that's combined $20 million for those three guys for the next two years each. Uh, for the next two years. So it's, it ends up working out to $40 million worth of contracts. Those players, nobody wanted, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I love Trevor. I've, I've been around Jace Peterson. Jace Peterson introduced Mallory Pugh to uh, Dansby Swanson because Jace is married to Mallory's sister. So like Jace is awesome. His story is awesome. But those three guys, 
we're not getting deals from any team in Major League yeah. Baseball. And May coming off a terrible end of the year and his his tenure with the Mets. And now you're in a situation where those guys will make money, but how do you even move them? And then you what can't... happens to and, and think about how much money it, it's crazy. The rest of the team combined that's playing every day is making. It's well, deplorable. And, and I hate what's happening. And I feel for the players. I do. Because, look, in some respects, you have to say there are guys getting opportunities and you take it and so would I. Right? So whether you're, yes. you're supposed to have it or not have it. So there is a blessing in disguise to some of it for some of it. Yes. Them. But yes. when they look up into the stands, when they look in a newspaper, when they go online, when they look across the field and they're getting back patted by the other team saying, I feel bad for you at the batting cage, not a great look for this sport. No. Not a great look. No. And that's it's that's terrible. that's why that's why it bothers it's, me. It's, at the no, end of it, it bothers me because yep. I felt like even if you're if you're a part of this revenue sharing, which is why that money went to to those players, um, yep. If you were really being competitive versus like, hey, we got to spend this money on three guys, just go find three guys. I, I just can't stand that. Let me hit you on one more thing before I let you run. Amount of games into a season before you panic. Amount of games into a season before. The way I wrote it down here to ask it was when a bad start becomes a bad season. And I'm not talking about the A's. I'm talking about San Diego specifically. Uh, the Mets maybe even less than more so because despite all the money, they're still now what a game back over four. They're four games out of a division. They're tied for a wild card. Even the teams that are disappointing. Look, San Diego, not far out. The Nationals got the worst record in the National League. What are they? Four and a half, five out of a wild card. So everybody's still kind of in it. But as a player, how long did you feel into a season that you started to worry about a bad start becoming a bad season, Billy. May you get into May, and you, if you're ten games under five hundred, you're in trouble. Um, you know, you it's 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 a it's kind of like an analogy. Well, not an analogy. It's a it's a, it's a saying. It makes sense, but it doesn't. You know, you, you can't win the division in April, but you can lose it. Uh, I've seen that. It's true. You can lose a season mid-May. I mean, uh, you could also rebound. I mean. Casey, we were doing, I was looking at some numbers when it comes to Chicago White Sox. And, you know, here's a team that was 14 games over 500 in, in early May. And do the research. And there's only been four teams in the history of baseball, 14 games below 500 to make it to the postseason. So that gives you an idea of how incredibly difficult it is. And that's at any point of the year. You could be 14 games under 500 in April, May. It doesn't matter. Um, the fact that that's, and the most recent one to actually get to the postseason, you'll remember this team. It was the Chicago White Sox in 2005. So that's the last team below 14 games below 500 to make it to the postseason. And they happen to play in the American League Central, uh, which we've documented time after time right now. Oh, forget it. Uh, the, the American League Central. In. Oh, forget it. Yeah. Okay. So there's there's Wait. still a punch. There are AL East for... teams that are begging to find their way into the Central. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, if you're if you're that many games below 500 and it's May, you know you're in trouble. Yep. Like the Cardinals know they're in trouble. The yep. White Sox know they're in trouble. The Padres know they're in trouble. Um, and then when you consider the divisions that they're in, Cardinals can say, "Hey, we're in the National League Central. That's we're we're okay. We're in the American League Central. We're okay." Padres are are they're they're in trouble. They're in a, they are in trouble. 
They could there be okay you. because of the wild card, and that's always going to keep you in it. And the talent wild is card, you have to win ninety games. Well, I well, you would you would figure. Look, I'm thinking about the Nationals. You keep bringing up fourteen under. That's why we keep talking about them at nineteen and thirty one in two thousand nineteen because of how crazy it is. And that was only fifty games into a season with so much left to play. the 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 question for me that I have is whether or not, and go quick on it because I know you got to go, but. Do you think the expectations hurt San Diego at all? Does is that a tangible thing? First time people actually thought they could beat the Dodgers. They weren't, you know, that that second fiddle. They weren't the little brother. I picked them to win the division. A lot of people picked them to win the division. Is that something that's tangible, or does that have nothing at all to do whatsoever with what's happened to San Diego this far? Nah, uh, I you know I think there's some expectations are are true. I think. I saw them for four games to start the the year, uh, and and I I'm the same way. I picked the Padres to uh, get to the World Series. I, I just felt like with all the the talent, but we knew that they were going to be flawed. They had multiple position players that were out of position. Xander Bogarts, even though some of the numbers suggest he's a he's he's an above average shortstop, he's not. Yeah. Ha Sung Kim was the above average shortstop. Correct. Yes. Um, Bogarts would have been a better fit at first base. Cronenworth would have been the better fit at second. That would have made their defense much better. They're starting to play better defense, but for the first part of the season, their defense was atrocious. It was bad. Uh, Grisham in center field, gold glove center fielder, wasn't hitting well. Then he had the bottom of the lineup because their offense wasn't wasn't doing much. They start putting a ton of pressure. They have five guys that you have to count on, and then the bottom of the lineup, there's like four guys that have sub sub 300 on base percentages so to me it's 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 the lineup the construction the overall roster there's a lot of names but it's flawed it's and they can fix it internally uh, but they have to be willing to move guys and i just don't think there's enough uh, that bob melvin can do with the personalities in that room to fix it that so i mean they at some point they all have to pull in the same direction and i don't know if that's possible not with that group so i don't i don't know what ends up happening with the padres spilly appreciate you thank you for hopping on and you gonna run god bless you know i love you i'm gonna finish this thing off and uh talk to the people uh, i appreciate you very much and we'll we'll do it again soon buddy thank you adios buddy there he is my man with his parachute pants mr Ryan Spielborgs. Uh, we continue here on episode 184 of the podcast. You always can get us on the Unfiltered Revolution at Casey Stern along the way. I, I want to follow up on what Spilly was saying on San Diego. We always want to go into a situation in this sport when something is going wrong. And we want to then say that's the reason. But we say it from a couch we say it from a broadcast booth, say it in front of a microphone, say it in front of a beer bottle at a bar or a water cooler, if you will. And we all sit there and we spout out of our gourd, out the wazoo, if you will. This is what's happening to the team. They don't care. The manager doesn't have them fired up. This is the move in the offseason that went wrong. And the answer people don't want to hear, because look, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a takes guy, but I'm definitely a rant. If I get mad, I get mad about something. But I'm also very rational in this respect. We sometimes want to make everything black and white and everything in shades of gray. And I ain't talking about the fitty. Everything is in shades of gray. Here is some truth for you. Here's some unfiltered. All of it is the reason. The expectations. 
the injuries, the lack of performance, the defense, the people out of position, the talent in the division, not being as good as you thought, etc. On down the line, everything parlays in, if you will, to why you sit there, what, six, seven games under 500 and saying every time I win two, I lose three. How the heck is this happening to this team? The good news about this sport, and I said this a week ago, And I've said this to people I know in San Diego. The good news about this sport, and you saw it with the Mets about two weeks ago, when the world was ending, they were out of it, forget it. This is a disaster. It's an unmitigated mess, right? They had two crazy wins against Tampa Bay and then three wins against the Guardians on a weekend, which included... The Scherzer performance by day, Verlander national TV audience at night in a doubleheader. They won five in a row, and they were tied for a wild card, and they were four and a half out. Now, since they've been herky-jerky, they lost two out of three of the Cubs. They came back. They won a couple. But they're four games out of the division. They're tied for a wild card, and all it took was one week. It took one week. Because this is not the National Football League. You can go 0-2 and still win. Think about in the NFL, 16, now 17 weeks. How many times that graphic comes up every year? Every year. And they show that full-page graphic on TV. And a graphic says, teams with a record 0-2 or 1-3 or whatever that have made the playoffs are, and it's a small list. And you're thinking, well, geez, what do you mean? The season's over already? We just started. And then it's teams that are 4-0, 5-0 that have missed the playoffs, and that's a small list. Well, we could just book tickets now. Baseball is not that simple. It is a book that is longer than everywhere else. It is more in-depth than everywhere else. The cream rises to the top more than anywhere else. But guess what? In the midst of all that, there are a hell of a lot of chapters. And we don't create, nor do we look at, nor do we judge them equally. Follow. I'm going to tell you now in June about August, and you're still going to do what I'm going to tell you that you all do. In August, especially the last two weeks into the beginning of September, your team can go 3-15. and Your team can go 15-3. and And for the most part, you may not even notice because you're doing your fantasy football drafts, because you got your kids out before Labor Day, and then they're going back to school. If you're in the South, they just started school. Now we're at the CVS or Rite Aid or wherever you go, public's going to get all our books. And everybody got other things to do. And just like a batting average or an OBP, that once it is already got a lot of foundation, can't be changed immensely by a week and a half. The standings can't be changed usually immensely by a week and a half when you get to August. But if that week and a half happens at the beginning of the season, then your life is over and forget it if you stink or you're the greatest thing ever if you're great. The deeper we go, the more we forget about the chapters. But it is about hanging in there. And then when September comes, having that be your best month into October. The Philadelphia Phillies a year ago, and I apologize because I'm straining my voice. I've had a cold. And of course, if any of your parents, your kids, 
get sick or have a pizza party or do anything and forget it. Everybody get in the cold. Um, so forgive me, bear with me. But when you think about it this way, right? If you're looking at September and October, last year, the Philadelphia Phillies didn't make the playoffs officially until the last day, I think it was, beating out Milwaukee, right, of the season. And then look what they did and the run they went on. You go back to a couple of years ago when the Braves went on their run and nobody had them doing that. Last year, the Mets had a 10-game lead on them June 1, and then the Braves caught them. Then the Mets are gone. And these things change all the freaking time. But it is about hanging in there and making sure your valleys are not too low and that you are able to just stay in the middle of the pack because that's the world we're in now, especially with this wild card. So if you're a San Diego Padre fan, it looks ugly as hell. But does that mean that your team can't regroup? No. Does it mean they can't perform better? No. Does it mean you can't go out and add in July if you're A.J. Preller or if you're Steve Cohen and Billy Epler or whomever it might be? No. Because all those teams are going to attempt to get better come deadline time. Just the way it is. And I think when you look at it and you're trying to look at it rationally, you got to be honest with yourself and say that regardless of how bad it looks in San Diego or how great things look in Baltimore, that it is hard. It is the hardest in any sport to sustain and to go bell to bell and to be a team that is consistently that damn good the whole entire time. It's very difficult to do. I want to say this on the A's thing that Spilly and I talked about. And pardon me. I, I know a lot of A's fans and diehards. I've been in that building. I've seen and I covered in that area a lot of more NBA final games than certainly playoff games in Oakland, but plenty of NBA final games where Oracle used to be right across wasn't even a street. Literally, you just walk across a walkway to get there. I feel for those fans. I know what it's like to root for a team that seemingly is the pits and doesn't care. I've been doing it. My whole life with the Knicks, seemingly most of it, well, since the 90s. A lot of my life with the Islanders, a lot of my life with the Mets, I've been there. I know what that's like. Not to the, you know, the extent of obviously never spending money, maybe even worse, having teams in big cities that were cheap and refused to spend money, even though in this case, there's some refused too, not just not able. But I feel for those fans, and those are the people we forget. Because this team will go to Vegas, and it'll be great for the sport. And you look at what's happened with the Golden Knights, you look at the Raiders, you look at, at that environment and how people have clamored to sports there, including hockey, which I never thought would pay off the way it has. Certainly the team's got to win, but go. I mean, you could see the environment, right? We're going to forget. Because the team's going to get money. And the team's then all of a sudden going to be new and exciting. And it's going to spin. And it's going to get some new park. And you're going to have an all-star game or something at the park. And all of a sudden, everybody's going to be there. And that's going to be an it thing. And it's going to be glitz and glamour. And people in Vegas for fights who show up at the games. And they're going to have a different feel. And all of that 
is going to be exciting for the sport. And if you live in Atlanta like I do, or New York or Boston or L.A. where I used to, or anywhere else that you currently do now, watching or listening to this, that is not Oakland and you don't care about the Oakland A's or L's, it's going to be great for you because it's cool. And we're going to forget. We're going to forget about these people who have struggled to spend their good money to watch a disaster, a dumpster fire in a deplorable building and have stuck with that team. While names and faces changed, I remember it going back even, Jesus, it's been going on forever, but I remember going back to, what was it, 2014 and sitting there being at Turner and it, it was like August 8th and this team was 30 games over 500. That was when they made the Lester Cespedes deal. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I'm watching them get Terrence Gord with John Lester on the mound, Alex Gordon, Homer, et cetera, goodbye, and you're gone. And then Donaldson and so on and so forth, gone. It's sad. It's sad for the players who have gone through there who care. And it's sad for the people who work in the building. And it's sad for the fans. But we will forget. We will move forward as a sport. All of us who are not there going to move forward. But I feel for those people. And they deserve a hell of a lot better. The sport deserves better from an integrity standpoint. Those fans deserve better from an integrity standpoint from that organization and from that area. For sure. You always uh, deserve better, which I'll continue to try and give. Uh, we'll effort as we go along the way. This 184 in the books. You could stay on top. The Unfiltered Revolution at Casey Stern. You could jump on the YouTube channel. Get us Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcast. Feel free to send ideas for lists and guests or things that you want to talk about as we continue to go along. And, you know, you go back to when I close with where we were at the beginning of this episode. The Soroka... And the Liam Hendricks stories. Think about those people, not as athletes, but as people. What they persevered through. Think about what they lived through. Think about what they fought through. And that they still hear. And they're still fighting. And use that to inspire you. We'll see you next time. Unfiltered as always. Brought to you by our good friends at Ben Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.